there's certain sort of fundamental things and um, that I think we we still have to grapple with that that is sort of impeding progress. Um, and until we grapple with those things, it's going to be really hard to get what what I think people jointly want. Welcome to Room to Grow. I'm Curtis Brown. And I'm Joni Funderburg. We work together at Texas Instruments, and we're glad you're here. We're looking forward to continually improving our practice, and we understand that you are too. We hope that you'll find this podcast as a room for you to grow along with us as we wrestle with and explore ideas about teaching math even better. In this episode, Curtis and I share a powerful conversation with Dr. Julia Aguirre. Julia co-authored the book, The Impact of Identity in K-8 Mathematics, Rethinking Equity-Based Practices. Julia's work examines the roles that race, ethnicity, culture, class, and language play in students learning mathematics. Based on her own experiences learning math and other STEM disciplines, she works to build and cultivate positive learning spaces for students who are historically marginalized from these experiences. We certainly grew from this conversation and hope you will too. So let's get growing. Well, Joni, it's super exciting to be recording another podcast episode again with you today. We have a really great opportunity uh, in front of us today. We get to chat with Dr. Julia Aguirre uh, that, uh, today and talking about uh, mathematics and our students' identities as mathematical learners um, and some of the great work that she has been doing. So um, really excited to have you join us on the podcast today, Julia. Well, thank you for inviting me. Yes, yes, we're really excited. So um, Go ahead, Joni. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm very excited too. And um, the two of you are together in person and I'm I'm distant from you, but um, it's good to have some video. And I'm really excited for our conversation today. I've, I've known Julia and her work for quite a few years, um, and I'm excited for her to have the opportunity to share that with our listeners. So um, Julia, we thought a fun way to have you introduce yourself to us and our audience would be to have you share experiences from your own school and work and life um, that have contributed to your current passions in math education. So just tell us a little bit about yourself and why you care about the things you care about. Sure. Um, Well, let's see, I can start, you know, it's usually traditional where you sort of introduce yourself through your family. Um, So um, I actually um, am the named after the... Mexican cousin who raised my father while my grandfather was fighting in World War II. Um, I grew up here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, My parents met at the university where my father was one of the first Latinos to play football. And my mom um, had a passionate heart for education. And, um, and they were, they got together in a time where um, mixed marriages weren't um, didn't happen and certainly weren't approved, uh, by many places in the, in the United States. So I identify myself as a mixed race Chicana. Um, I have, um, Mexican descent, uh, on my father's side and, um, English and French and Irish descent on my mother's. Um, and I, uh, grew up here, um, in the Seattle area and I went to a a high school um, and you asked me, um, how did I get started in this work? And so the experience was that in my high school, I was an athlete and an honor student. 
Um, and my two sports were basketball and soccer. And I was one of five students of color in the honors program at that time uh, in a school that was half black. And um, all of my basketball teammates who were mostly black were not in my honors courses. And all my soccer teammates who were almost all white were all in my honors courses. And so my school was two schools under one roof. And that stuck with me um, because I could see inequities there. For sure. Um, And then, and yet at that particular school, I got introduced to a program called MESA, Math Engineering Science Achievement. And MESA was a program that was designed to support more um, diversity in the STEM uh, pathway, right? And um, in MESA, I could uh, explore STEM careers, STEM ideas, without having to leave myself, um, my, my identities at the door. And that was a very powerful experience for me uh, because there were many messages of saying, no, you, no, you can't. And um, Mesa was a place, a space where there was messages of, yes, you can. And um, so that took me to um, the University of California, Berkeley. And at Berkeley, I was participated in different kinds of programs like that. Um, one was called uh, the Professional Development Program or emerging, you might know it as Emerging Scholars mm-hmm. Program. And um, that was a very special time in my life, again, because I was surrounded by people of color, all who were really smart people, interested in STEM. Um, and um, we didn't have to leave who we were at the door. And so that those experiences, um, I knew it could be done. I knew that, that there were these experiences in learning mathematics, science, engineering, um, where you could bring your whole self to the, the learning. And um, that was one of the reasons why I decided to go into math education, because I wanted to build and cultivate those spaces for students who are historically marginalized from um, STEM education. And so um, uh, that is, those are some of the um, sort of foundational moments for me about why I do the work that I do in math ed. That's really good. That's really good. And I I love that um, so much of what you uh, are passionate about comes from your background, comes from um, your experiences in those things. And I know that um, a lot of the work that you are are doing kind of brings that out and draws that out a little bit. So talk to us a little bit um, about your uh, research experience, how you see teachers um, their own identities playing out in uh, their classroom practices and beliefs. I know that when I was in the classroom, there was so much of my experiences, my own curiosities and things that just drove a lot of the kinds of questions that I asked my students. And I'm just freely admitting that I spent a lot of the time thinking about things that I was curious about or things that I was interested in and then trying to spend my time getting my students interested or excited about those things mm-hmm. um, because it was just natural for me to do that. So is, is that kind of a normal thing? Um, do you see that that is the way that, that people do this and is that effective? 
Well, I mean, I, I think for the first part of your question is about uh, math teacher identity. So all of, mm-hmm. you know, we all have different identities. Um, we move in different spaces and so do students. Um, so our math teacher identity has everything to do with how we grew up um, and how we experienced math. Mm-hmm. And then all the new and different ways um, we learn as we teach mathematics to young people. Um, so, I mean, I think it's natural for people to who are teachers you know, they're curious about the world. They want to, you know, share their experiences with young people. Um, I think that's like half, half of the work. Right. But the other half is that the students are also coming in with curiosities and interests and aspirations and questions. Right. And so ways in which you are tapping into their experiences, their family activities, their community things that they um, get involved with, and then connect mathematics, mathematical ideas to those experiences. I think if we did more of that, I think students would, A, stop asking us, why do we need to use this? (laughs) And then also um, we're sort of stoking or cultivating that idea that everybody is mathematical Mm-hmm. Um, we all are, uh, uh, ask mathematical, mathematical questions in our daily lives. Um, and that, um, we need more opportunities to develop that sides of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, the concerns that I have is oftentimes for certain groups of students, um, that opportunity to cultivate curiosity or have them utilize mathematics in a way that might transform their community is set aside because they are being asked to um, perform on a standardized test. Right. And that, that is what is used as a way to evaluate their um, mathematical um, performance and therefore how they see themselves as math learners for sure. And they, they think of themselves. I think young people know that they are more than just a test score. Right. But that's not necessarily the message that they receive in school. Do you have some examples of those things? Cause I'm, I'm sitting here trying to think of like all the ways that, that we um, typically try to teach mathematics and we contextualize it. Right. We, we give the students some kind of a story problem or we give them some kind of a, um, a piece that has whatever the standard is, is buried down in there among all the words. Yeah. It's buried down in there in the, in the way that the question is asked or whatever. So we're targeting some standard and we're, ju- we're really just getting at the mat and we've, we've kind of put this window dressing around the outside edge. Talk to me. Do you have some examples of things that are, that are maybe more than that? Or is that what yeah, you're talking I, about? I actually talked about that today. Awesome. So, so there are, um, I'm, I have, uh, projects that I've worked with. I have some wonderful colleagues. Um, we have a project that was called, um, mathematical, mathematical modeling and cultural community contexts. And now we have a project called Equistem, um, advancing equity and strengthening teaching with elementary mathematical modeling. Okay. Um, so in both of those cases, we're looking at essentially cultural responsive mathematics or mathematical modeling and the activities that we're developing, um, in concert with what we're learning by working with teachers and what they're learning about their kids, um, are 
uh, types of modeling tasks. You know what modeling is, right? Yeah. Like the right the high school content standard, right? right? Well, but and the K twelve math talking, practice standard, yeah, you're right? You're talking to two high school math <laughs> yeah, standards, so, high school math teachers here. That, right. So, so it's a content like, standard, right? Yeah, it's a content yeah. standard for for yeah for um, high schoolers. Yeah. But it's a K twelve mathematical practice, right? Yes. It is. So right. we want our kids to do well at the content level at high school. Then we should sure. start actually giving them opportunities to do that. As they're growing up, right? Don't you think? Yeah, we did so, our very our very first podcast episode was on mathematical modeling. So we really who you have? You didn't have me. We did. No, we it was it we was just the two of us. It was just the two of us and having a conversation. But I love that 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 yes. is your passion. This is so We're, oh, I'm so excited. We already have our topic for bringing you back for a second time. Okay, this excellent. And I will bring people to come with me. I love it. Should, I love yes. it. So yes. a first example is something that we call mathematizing the world. So sure. I'm going to show, you can't see I this, love it. Uh, but I'm going to show this picture. This, okay. this picture is uh, um, in a place uh, regionally here. Um, and why don't you describe that picture to the audience? Okay. So we have a picture. Um, it's uh, taken from a building uh, or a, a surface. It's high above a street. Um, there's a couple, there's another building across. I see uh, a uh, in the distance there, there's a field on the, on kind of on the left-hand upper part of the picture. I see a field, uh, maybe it's a soccer field or a park or of some kind. Um, and a few families or people out um, in, get, in small groups and gathered. Uh, but maybe the chief focus of the image uh, is sort of down uh, and to the left of the image. There's a, a large gathering of a large crowd of people um, some with what appear to be signs um, and then a, a, maybe a section of, of people where they don't have a whole lot of signs. They're all kind of gathered and turning and talking, it looks like, to each other. And then uh, there's a row of folks on, I guess, the right-hand side that all have umbrellas and uh, things. And then right, uh, maybe, and there's an open gap. And as I'm describing this, uh, I'm getting more and more uh, of feel of what the image is actually a picture of uh, on the, on the true center of the image. Um, there's uh, rows of people that look like they're in um, gear, combat gear or something uh, like that. Um, and then they're backed up by folks that I can, I can't see real well, but it looks like they may have some uh, guns or uh, other things. So they're, army navy you know mm -hmm. police somebody uh is in the image um so this is probably some uh, a protest uh, of some kind mm -hmm. um that has been organized or uh, whatever so anyway just trying to give a, a little bit of a picture right. in the background so that people can so, see this so so this image right is actually a picture of, of a black lives matter protest okay. in, in the summer of 2020 okay and um, we would might use this picture as a way to um, have uh, kids um, uh, make connections to the world. Sure. Right? So you might ask these questions like, what do you notice? And sure. then they would tell you, well, there's a lot of people. There's people with umbrellas. There looks like police officers there. Yeah. What, what do you wonder? Right. And so kids are now starting to question. Well, I wonder why there's so many people there. I wonder why they have umbrellas there. Um, how, and then there may be questions of, of how do you connect with this? What, what's your feelings about this right now when you look at this image? 
And then the the next question is, what questions can be answered with math mm. about this image? Right? That's so interesting because um, I, I I recognize this image as soon as you as you brought it up, uh-huh. and um, the previous time I may have even seen your slides. I may have even been in one of your sessions. Now that I'm thinking about this, <laughs> um, and this Wait, is so this funny. Is familiar. This is very familiar to me. And here's the reason why this is so interesting because um, the context within which I have seen this image before, we saw it in a math context. And immediately the questions were asked, what do you notice? Well, I'm already in, I'm in math class or I'm in a math session at a conference or something. And so the questions that I'm already noticing, the things that I'm noticing and wondering about as a math teacher and a math nerd, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm wondering, okay, how can I best approximate the number of people that are in that crowd? Or it, it, the context of what the image was about was not something that I immediately thought of. Mm-hmm. When you asked me to do this just now a minute ago, and this, I was, we're in a totally different context. I'm not in my math class. I'm not in a math session at a conference. And you asked me to describe this image. None of those math questions were the first things that I, that mm-hmm. I thought of. I think that's an important distinction mm-hmm. <laughs> for us all. Yeah. So, so part of this is to then invite with through images, this is mm-hmm. a image. You can use right. other images. Sure. Um, for students to start to practice their observation skills, practice their problem posing skills, practice uh, creating and cultivating empathy, mm. and practice posing problems with mathematics. Sure. And um, and then after that, when you, for example, you said, oh, "Well, I I wonder how many people are in the crowd. How could I approximate that?" Right. Well, then my next question is, well. Who might care about that number? Why mm. would that number be important? Yeah. And so doing something like that with kids as a routine, like a mathematizing a world routine, like you do a number talk is a, is a routine. Sure. Different kinds of images can provoke kids thinking about the world and then mm-hmm. asking questions that um, uh, can be answered with this, I, these ideas that they're learning in math class, right? And sure. These are the kinds of things that people do care actually how many people are in the crowd and they care about how many people are in the crowd in comparison to the two rows of officers that are facing off with them. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, we have a a teacher, a third grade teacher who brought this um, image to uh, a back to school night and she brought the image to explain to the to, to share with the families mm-hmm. that this mathematizing the world routine is part of what she does, right? And she shared with us that the families um, she, uh, that she had, when they looked at that photo, they're like, I was there in that crowd. I wow. was there. Wow. Wow. And so it meant something. And she, she knew that. She knew there was a good possibility about that. But what was powerful is that the families are seeing how math, how mathematics and mathematizing is is being shared with their with their children, and that there is truly an authentic connection that yeah. this that this particular teacher was making. I mean, she also showed other photos like sure. like the Ferris wheel and other kinds of things that, um, but that kids need to have those opportunities often yeah. to mm-hmm. make the connection, right and um. 
And I think that, you know, you asked me, I think earlier about, well, how do teachers do this? Well, part of it is, again, trying to listen to your, listen to your students, what gives them joy? What do you notice that they seem to play with? Where are their strengths? Um, and I like, do you know where your kids might like to travel in their world? Sometimes, um, um, with young people, middle school and high school students, um, from particular, um, areas, there's a sort of a belief that, you know, they're never going to go outside their neighborhood, but that doesn't mean they don't have aspirations to, right. right? Or that they might want to travel the world. Um, that's a big assumption sometimes that I think is wrong about young people, that they actually do have dreams and aspirations and their families have dreams and aspirations too. But there's a whole system that's set up to, um, see them as a problem or something to be fixed. Mm. And, uh, we need to move away from that model. Mm. Um, yeah. Kids are not to be fixed. Uh, right. they have strengths and growth areas like everybody else. Yeah. And, um, we need to create experiences for them to, to be able to build on their strengths and stretch and grow, um, uh, to, to learn more things. Yeah, for sure. I, I sure. want to chime in cause I, I just so appreciate the example that you just gave. And, um, you know, when Curtis gave his, uh, talked about his experience as an educator and bringing his own passion and his own mathematical identity as a way to try to motivate and, you know, encourage the learning in the classroom. And I think, um, you know, your response of like, that's only half of it. You also have to engage in the kids and these open-ended ideas of, I love the idea of using a visual image and just getting kids to talk about it and getting kids to share, you know, what do they see and what connections are they making? Because you're right, Julia, like we don't know what we don't know about our students. We have to create structures and opportunities to learn about them. And then we have to authentically listen and, and find, you know, those things that we can connect to so that we are ensuring our instruction is relevant for them. It's not a question of, you know, I've got to go out and get a degree in, you know, multicultural studies to know how to teach my kids. I just have to ask them questions and then listen and then do something with what they tell me so that I can foster those experiences. I'm circling back a little bit to your introduction because there were several phrases that you used in describing your life experience and what's brought you to your current work that that really um that really hit me and I want to hear you talk some more about those so the one phrase that I want to ask you to elaborate on is leaving your identity at the door um I it just it just hurt my heart to hear you say that And I feel that, you know, in my experience, I think there are educators and systems that do that to certain populations of students. They ask, essentially ask them to leave their identity at the door. And I also want to say, I don't think, I don't think most of that is intentional. So I'm wondering if you can shine a light on us. You know, I'm, I'm a white woman. Kurt's a white man. I don't have that experience of, being asked to leave my identity at the door. So I don't know what that feels like or what happens that would cause me to feel that way. And I'm wondering if you can help us understand that better. So, well, I think, um, so what I was trying to say earlier was that MESA, the Math Engineering Science Achievement Program, 
um, was a space in which I did not have to leave my identity at the door. Right. Right. Um, and so uh, I could bring my whole self into those experiences. There are ways in which we subtly do that. And there are ways in which we are, you know, uh, uh, giving messages to girls, to, to boys about, um, um, uh, how they should look, how they should act. Um, and so, uh, so I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, uh, correct, or, you know, answering your, your, um, question fully, but I was in a space in which I could be my whole self. And that gave me strength to face times when people would question my um, reason for being in a particular room or mm. being at a particular university or, you know, um, wondering how I got in there. Um, and these programs were available to me to, to help me meet other, other individuals um, who shared similar things that I, similar things that we, we, we liked. Um, maybe you're not asked, I mean, uh, you're, you're not asked to leave your identity at the door because in many cases your identity is affirmed going in and out all these spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, what we need to recognize is that there is a new norm in our schools. The norm is that we have a much more diverse, uh, culturally rich groups of kids who are, um, learning in our schools and that we should honor that. Um, and that's going to have to um, make us reconcile the systems that we have put in place to rank and sort kids so that they remain segregated. Mm, okay. What were some of the things I'm just curious, you've brought up the, um, that Mesa was the place where you didn't have to leave your identity at the door. And one of the things Joni's taught me a lot about is like, what are the things that we can talk about that um, were the positive side of things that we can learn from. What are the things that allowed you to bring your whole self, to feel like you could bring your whole self to the space? Because I'm not familiar with the Mesa program. Right. Or... So, I mean, part of it is just um, assuming that we were all smart. Mm. Like everyone had something to contribute and then we all had strengths. And that so... wasn't something that we had to earn. Or something that we had to uh, um, like prove. It was just who we were, and so I I would like people to think about how they um, how they see young people when they come mm -hmm. into the door. What are the words? Uh, what are the things that are floating around that child's head that you that um, may be informed by stereotype, may be informed by by bias. Um, and, uh, if, if they're, especially if they're negative, how are you sort of taking that deficit language and reframing it to be more asset focused? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so you're creating a space like Bettina Love calls, um, some of the ways in which young people are, um, who identities are affected is as spirit murdering when you mm -hmm. are calling them low, slow, bubble kids, other ways in which you objectify their, their personhood 
when you use those terms, mm -hmm. you are in effect dehumanizing them. And uh, I, I just, um, when she came up with that description, it was exactly what it is. When you refer to children in those terms, you are engaged in spirit murdering. And that is about identity, right? And so we need to make sure that we are not engaged in that kind of, um, those kinds of actions that have detrimental impacts on um, students and their way they perceive themselves as in this case, math learners. Right. Um, children should be able to uh, learn in a way that gives them joy and, um, and, and uh, challenges them and um, stokes their, their curiosity and, um, and have it be about curiosity and um, creativity and not about control. But if we really want to, you know, get down to the, some of the things that we were talking about in the book, or when I talk about culturally responsive math teaching, mm -hmm. it is about um, uh, centering your instruction on the children that you have and knowing that those children have gifts in their humanity and their full humanity is coming to you. And you should be able to leverage that as a way to, to um, strengthen their, with, strengthen their understanding and also stretch them to learn more. So, wow, this is an opportunity to transition, I think, um, to some, some things that you talked about in, uh, in the book, which were the five practices. You had some five equity-based practices um, that are listed in your book, and we'll have some of these resources available for, sure. um, for our uh, readers. Which one, or maybe, let's focus on one or maybe two. Let's not. Let's focus on five. Yes. You know why I say that? Yeah, I'd like to. Uh, yeah, because I love the fact that you <laughs> chose this question. do you know why question. I would say that? I want to hear it. I want to I hear, wanna hear why. I okay. don't know why. So we have five practices. Mm -hmm. And some of the feedback that we've gotten is that people just focus on the first one. Ah, uh, tell us what the first one is. Going deep I can't with see math. Here. Going deep with math. Yes. So uh, we I need to, this. in this next second edition, <laughs> we need to help people understand that this is not uh, one, two, three, four, five in order of importance. Mm. You need to think about these either as strands or you need to think about them as a circle, right? Yeah. So they're all important, yeah. right? And they all need attention. And um, it's, it's, um, it's a safe way to go if you only focus on the first one, because then you don't have a stretch much. Right. Cause it's always mm -hmm. been about going mm -hmm. deep with the math and math reform. And, um, these other things like leveraging multiple mathematical competencies. So seeing mm. the strengths and the different strengths kids might be bringing to the, to the right. mathematical space, affirming mathematical learner identities. So what are way are we keeping, what, you know, how do you want kids to leave your classroom um, feeling about math? Right. So I will say that I am a math teacher educator. I work with um, every year. I work with teacher candidates in the, in the K-8 elementary, um, getting their K-8 elementary endorsement. And every year I have over 50, 60, 70% of my, my, my teacher candidates are having to reconcile and heal from their own experiences with mathematics that they do not want to pass on to the students that they're teaching. 
So as a, you know, as a community effort in math, as math teacher educators, we have to take responsibility for our teacher candidates experienced violence, experienced humility or um, humiliation, perhaps um, while they were learning math and they can pinpoint it, right? They can pinpoint it. It was having to do uh, be fast with my times tables, right? I was just going to say that. <laughs> Third grade, everyone did. Fractions is the another mad one. Minute. Uh, yeah. The mad right. minute. Yeah. Fractions, I'm fractions you. is another around the world. Uh, uh, you know, um, algebra is another sort of piece. But at the same time, I have students do their origin stories, right? Their math origin stories. And there is a teacher that um, turned it around for them, usually. Right. Um, or there was a teacher that that derailed them. Right. And so but teachers really matter in this. Yes. In this. Yes, um, uh, in this journey. And so these five. Right. So affirming mathematical learners identities is important. Challenging spaces of marginality. So where how are we pushing kids out rather than bringing them and calling them back mm-hmm. in and having everybody feel like they're um, can can make meaningful mathematical contributions in the class. How are we affirming multilingualism in the class? Because mm. that's a way in which kids might be communicating their ideas yeah. in multiple languages. Right. Yeah. Um, and then finally, uh, drawing on multiple resources of knowledge. Again, how are we getting to know the students that we're working with, the strengths that they're bringing, their interests that we can connect to, you know, when you're invited to go to um, a uh, like, an important event from a family, go, right? Do a community walk, go around and see where people, you know, visit uh, family-owned businesses, go to the kids' basketball games at the rec center, right? Be seen and and then utilize those opportunities to then um, not only build relationships with students, but utilize those with an opportunity to meet families, to um, communicate with families because they are also you know, you are another adult in their child's life that right. makes an impact. And so um, I think all five are important. Um, I worry when people just pick the one that's most comfortable. For sure. And never move beyond to the others. Mm-hmm. And so we have to uh, make an effort to see these things as, um, a- a- as a circle um, mm. or, uh, as strands that all must be attended to. I love it. I love it. I may or may not have set you up for that. Um, <laughs> I love that. I'm just going to leave that as a mystery up to okay, our listeners <laughs> to, to find out whether that was a teacher trick to get you to, to draw all those together or not. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so Julia, I, I, we've certainly spent the conversation today talking about a lot of work that's yet to be done, but I would love for you to reflect with us as we wrap up, you know, what are you feeling most hopeful about? What, what have you seen um, that you could mark down as progress or what conversations or work have you been a part of that uh, makes you feel like we can get closer to where we need to be? Uh, So I would say everybody should read, um, the Todos Anti-Racist Mathematics Education Position Statement, Todos Mathematics for All. Um, I think that uh, particular document, it won the NCTM Publication Award, 
um, helps spell out what is needed. Um, uh, and so I think that those kinds of materials and ex- it's, it's not that we don't know what to do. We do know what to do actually. Mm-hmm. It's, do we have the will to do it? And we have to really push ourselves to understand why we're hesitant. Mm. And, um, and I think that that is, uh, the, you, as we move closer, um, as we, uh, you know, I have like my colleagues, um, you know, Karen Mayfield Ingram, Danny Martin, um, Nicole Joseph, um, you know, uh, Macy Golson, Maria Zavala, you know, uh, we we were moving toward trying to help shine a light on brilliance of children mm. um, that they don't have to earn that that's that it is there and um, and no one should have to experience humiliation and violence in a classroom in a math classroom and when we use even you know I, I'm sure you have experienced. Uh, kids or colleagues saying my low students or my high students or my advanced students or, you know, those, those language, that language seeps into how we see children, Mm -hmm. seeps into how we see the kids, but it's used so commonly. And so um, what I'd like to see is that deficit discourse out of our registry, out of our lexicon, out of, out of, we don't, we don't, describe children in that way anymore. Right. We don't engage in spirit murdering anymore. We we're not doing that. Um, and, uh, I would like to see and hope to see that, um, there's a new set of books. Um, oops, let's see. As she reaches for the books, yeah. there's she a reaches new for set the books of books and pulls them uh, off the shelf here. Um, uh, put out by Corwin that are mathematics lessons to explore, understand, and respond to social just social injustice. And they have an element, early elementary, they have an upper elementary, they have a middle school and they have a high school versions. And these are lessons that have been done in classrooms that um, engage kids in, um, in thinking about their our world mm-hmm. and mathematizing our world and engaged in, Mathematics. So what's special about these is that all lessons connected to the standards, the math standards, and they connected to the social justice standards. There are social justice standards, by the way. And so when you're having to do both, you're engaging young people in thinking about a more fuller aspect of, of, of real life actions that are happening mm. um, than just thinking about only math. Um, these things are intertwined and they need to be held um, together um, and honored in both, in both ways. Wow. You've given us a whole lot of things to talk about, to think about, to go away. And I know <laughs> I'm going to have to go away and really think uh, deeply about a lot of the things that you've, you've brought up. Um, really appreciate sure. your passion uh, for this. Um, yeah, thank you. All of the, the resources that you listed here, we'll make sure that we make sure that those are, uh, available. Sure. I can uh, send you to resources. our, yeah, for no sure. Problem. That would be wonderful to that. have those for the, for the show notes and, and anything, uh, everything for our, our, 
our participants to to uh, look forward and look into um, and investigate. So, and Julia, just thank you, thank you for joining us for the conversation today, and thank you for all the work that you're doing to help all of us get better at at having all of our kids be successful in mathematics. I really appreciate all the specifics and tangible and challenging ideas you gave us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, that's it for this time. Be sure to check the show notes for the resources we mentioned and others you might want to explore. We would love to hear your feedback and your suggestions for future topics. And if you're enjoying learning with us, consider leaving a review to help others find us and share the podcast with a fellow math educator. See you next time.